a few others gathering in. It's good to see you all. Welcome to uh, our Sunday morning service. Uh, we have the opportunity to come together and uh, worship the Lord. It's a lovely privilege to be able to come and to share together in fellowship. Uh, so let's uh, please stand to sing. Uh, 403 in the books, if you're following along in the books, and it'll be up on the screen. We are never, never weary of the grand old song, Glory to God, Hallelujah. We can sing it loud as ever with our faith more strong, Glory to God, Hallelujah. So let's please stand to sing this lovely hymn of praise and sing it out well, please. Thank you. It's helpful just to take a moment to let those words of the chorus sink in. Oh, the children of the Lord have a right to shout and sing, for the way is growing bright and our souls are on the wing. We are going by and by to the palace of a king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What a privilege this morning for those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, that we know that our home, our destiny is secure, and we're going to be with the Lord Jesus uh, one day. As I say, welcome to you all this morning. It's good to have a decent number with us and a few visitors with us, so uh, welcome to each of you. It's really good to have you with us, and I uh, trust you'll feel blessed in fellowship this morning. We're going to pray and just ask for the Lord's help uh, to us this morning. A few particular things to pray for. Uh, remember Brother Donald, uh, still, I believe, waiting for just confirmation of a date, and um, has to be in hospital, just getting things checked out and make sure everything remains uh, where it should uh, until he actually gets the, the surgery that he needs. Um, Tom's father is also, Tom McCormick's father is also in hospital and we heard on Wednesday Gillian Moore's mom is in hospital as well and others have just got out of hospital and are recovering. So not to be praying for but we know the Lord knows and understands these needs and uh, will be with us. So let's just pray now and ask for his help uh, to us this morning. Dear Father, we thank you for your uh, your care, Lord, we thank you for your great provision, provision upon us, Lord. We thank you for the examples that we can see of Scripture, Lord, where you, in times of need, Lord, you draw near to your people, Lord. You uh, come near to them, Lord. You make your presence known. You bring comfort. And many times, Lord, do you bring healing and protection upon their lives, Lord. And we thank you that we can claim those promises even this morning, Lord. So many promises in Scripture. 
scripture that you've given us. You promised to be with us, Lord. You promised to look after us, Lord, to protect us. And we know there are many dangers in this world, Lord. There are many challenges, Lord. And we suffer many falls and trips in our walk with you, Lord. And yet we know, Lord, that you hold us by your hand. You protect us. You walk with us. You comfort us. You guide us. You direct us. You minister to us, Lord. You reveal the word to us, Lord. Your spirit gives us that word to pray, Lord, even when we don't know how to. And so we thank you for that this morning, Lord. And we think of those that are in particular need at the moment uh, that would join us, Lord. And we think of Donald, Lord. We pray that you would be with him. Lord, we thank you for him, for his work and his ministry, Lord. But we pray that as he's laid aside now, uh, that you would bless him in his own soul, that you would give him, Lord, that sense of your presence and that he would be comforted, Lord, knowing that he's set aside for a purpose and he's set aside for a reason, Lord, and that you... Uh, would give him, Lord, even opportunities to share of his work and share of his testimony uh, to the folk that he's with, Lord. And we pray that you would, Lord, bring that surgery soon, Lord, that he would be able to get it and get back home again, Lord, and back into the work, if that's your will. Uh, pray for David's father, for Gillian's mom as well, Lord, and for those that have been in hospital, Lord, and, and have been able to get out again, Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask that you be with them, Lord. And we pray that this morning, Lord, as we meet here, Lord, that this would be a special time of coming together. Lord, that it wouldn't just be something that we do out of habit or out of routine. That, that we do, would do it, Lord, with hearts that desire to come and to know you. With hearts that desire to come and to have fellowship with other like-minded people, Lord, that want to grow in our knowledge, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in our understanding of what it means to be lights in this world, what it means to be saved what it means to be redeemed, Lord, what it means to have a home in heaven and to be looking forward to it. And in the here and now, Lord, we each have needs, Lord. There are things that trouble us. There are things that weigh us down, Lord. There are things that sometimes we don't have answers to, Lord. And we pray that this morning, Lord, you would give us real clarity from your word, Lord, to even help understand some of those things. Lord, to help to understand, Lord, your purposes, to help us to understand, Lord, our responsibility to rest upon you. And we ask, Lord, that even as we go away from this place, Lord, we'll be refreshed in the knowledge not only that we've met with the Lord, but that we've been directly spoken to in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning and make us ready to hear. Pray for Josh as he would come now and speak to the boys and girls, Lord. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for them being here, Lord. We thank you for the joy that they bring in their families, but also in the church here. And we pray, Lord, that as they would come to the front and as they would hear uh, the word that's shared to them, Lord, that they would be encouraged and that they would be blessed and you would help Joshua as he would share that with them, Lord. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Good to have you as always. I'm going to ask you now to come and sit in the front couple of seats here and Joshua is going to come and share with you as well. So come on ahead, folks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, boys and girls. It's great to see you all out this morning in the church. Um, so, uh, could anybody tell me, this might be an easy question, what this here is? Yeah? It is indeed. Put your hand up if you have a passport. Mike has got one anyway. Um, so that's right, this is my passport, and I will be needing this on the 27th of January as myself and a few other men from this church. Nigel Reid, David Reid, Kyle Moore and John Reid will be travelling out to the Ivory Coast. Now who knows where the Ivory Coast is? Not too many people. Well, hopefully if this works, we will get to show you where it is. So that's the Ivory Coast there and it's just in the bottom, it's in West Africa. So it's a wee bit away from here but we will be going out there anyway on the 27th of January. You're probably wondering why would you be going there? Surely John's a bit old for a lad's holiday. Well, it's not for a holiday. We're going out um, with an organization called Friends in Action. Um, and their goal is to strive to share the gospel and to bring clean water to those who are less fortunate than us. There's over two million people in the world that doesn't have clean water. And you think how many times we turn the tap on or wash the car or take a shower, how privileged we are to be able to have clean water. But there's also many people out there who haven't heard the gospel. And 
uh, we, our aim is to go out there to finish off construction and the, the new base of operations so that future teams they can go out and that they can share the gospel and that they can bring clean water to those who are less fortunate than us. Um, to go to the Ivory Coast, it's not as simple as going on your holidays to Spain or something. We have, uh, we've had to take a lot of vaccines as there's a lot of disease and it wouldn't be as clean out there as it would be here in Northern Ireland. Um, wasn't the most enjoyable experience to take some of these vaccines as I'm not the biggest fan of needles but thankfully it's all done now. Um, one of the big ones we've had to take is called yellow fever and you've probably never heard of yellow fever before but it is a disease that you can catch in West Africa and it's, it's not very nice if you get it. Um, such a serious disease that if you aren't vaccinated against it they won't even let you into the country. Once we took our vaccine for it we were given a certificate. Um, I think there'll be a photo of it on the screen if you can't see it. And you have to bring this with you. If we don't have this certificate, they'll not let you into the country because of this uh, disease. In the inside of this certificate, it tells everybody that I've had this uh, vaccine and it is specifically for me and that I'm allowed into the country now. Um, so it's a wee bit like your passport, but your passport maybe let you into Spain, but your passport isn't enough to get you into the Ivory Coast. Um, so this, this got me thinking, this is a wee bit like salvation. And there's a verse in the Bible, hopefully you get it up now. John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And although we need our passports or we need our certificates or whatever it is to get into these countries, they're no good. Our passport's no good to get us into heaven. We need salvation. We have to ask Jesus to come into our heart. Um, there's only one way to get into heaven, and that is Jesus. Um, and if you're a Christian, it is so important to tell others the good news about Jesus and how we can get into heaven. And although we're going halfway across the world to West Africa, you can even tell people in your class, or you can tell your family members the good news of the gospel. Um, this first got me thinking what if when I was your age, and when we were in Sunday school, or when we were in churches, and there's a wee uh, chorus that we used to sing, and I'd like us to sing it now. We can have it at the screen. I'll play it, please. Thank you very much. Um, so the next time you're maybe going away on holiday or you're getting your passport ready, I hope you remember that although it's important to bring that in your holidays, uh, we have to be prepared to get to heaven. And the only way is to ask Jesus to come into our hearts. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, he's sweet for you before you go. Thanks very much, Joyce. And do be praying for the, the gents that are going away. Um, for that trip as well, it'll be challenging in many ways. It's a very physical trip for them, a lot of activity when they're out there. Uh, and I'm sure in some ways they don't know exactly what to expect, so do be praying for them. Uh, I think a, a, a double prayer for John as well. I think he's going to suffer some serious stick whenever he's away. <laughs> I can give it as well, but uh, do be praying for John as well as he takes that. Uh, I'll ask Brian if he would come now and give us uh, the, the announcements for the week. Well, good morning. Can I also 
Uh, welcome this morning. I'm not sure, Nigel, you're going to get many recruits the next time. I don't think Josh has really sold it there for you, all the, all the vaccine and diseases and things out there. But it does remind us just um, of the importance of praying for uh, the folks whenever they're out there. But can I welcome you again this morning? I know some visitors with us. It's nice to have Danny with us. Danny's studying with Johnny uh, down in Dublin, but from Kuala Lumpur. So it's good to have him with us and everyone with us uh, this morning. Also, a thank you to our brother Johnny for speaking. We always appreciate his ministry and his help. So thank you, Johnny Rice, for that uh, this morning. In latter part of service, wait behind. Remember the Lord Jesus and the breaking of bread. If you're saved and you're seeking to walk with him, we'll encourage you to wait behind and to remember him with us uh, this morning. Uh, made fun of Cheryl uh, last week about giving me a notice of a big sort of writing on it. I actually forgot my glasses this morning, so she gave me another one, so I'm glad it's some big writing this morning. So if I don't get the announcements all right, it's because I can't read my notes here uh, in front of me. But this afternoon at 3 o'clock, uh, we have the outreach in Tully West Nursing Home, and I hope to be speaking there this afternoon. Then 6 o'clock this evening is our time of prayer, 6.30 is our gospel service. Um, we have visiting speaker this evening, Kyle Parks, Kyle's first visit with us, so pray for him as he comes along. And we have singers, uh, Brian and Ruth Agnew. I announced them for last Sunday evening, so we've had plenty of notice, so they'll be along uh, this evening, Brian and Ruth Agnew. Then Wednesday night, 6.45s are searchers. Just say the numbers were a wee bit down after the Christmas break uh, last week, so if you can, if you know of children who could maybe have attended in the past or could attend, primary school age will encourage them to come along. They'll be delighted to see them on Wednesday evening at 6.45. Then 8pm to a Bible study and prayer meeting, and Trevor Matthews will be along to speak on Wednesday evening. Thursday, uh, there's no tiny tots this week, just due to schools being off and things, and with uh, parents' responsibilities for older children, so there's no tiny tots uh, this week, but it'll be back as usual the following week. Then Friday evening, 8pm, Men's Fellowship. Uh, John Brown, who formerly worked with Stars Foundation, will be along to tell his life story. Stars, they work with people with addictions, so he's a very interesting story to tell, so please come along and on Friday evening. Then next Sunday, 10.15, Sunday School in the Bible class, serves 11.30 and 6.30, always preceded by times of prayer, and the speaker expected all day is Yule Finley. In the evening, the Youth Fellowship, they meet, and they're having a question and answer panel with former members of uh, the Youth Fellowship, and their topic is Christian life in and after school, so uh, it'll be an interesting and helpful night for the young people. Then, just looking a wee bit further ahead, um, we have organized uh, some safeguarding training for all who work with children or young people. Uh, the dates for those, if you've got your diaries, or will be announced over the next week or two, are Monday the 26th of February and Tuesday the 5th of March. And it's only uh, necessary to attend one of those. That's why I've picked a Monday and a Tuesday night. So Monday the 26th of February and Tuesday the 5th of March. And it is necessary for all who work in any of our children or youth activities to attend one of these evenings. That's irrespective of what other experience or training you may have. This is specific to our church, so please uh, keep that in mind. And uh, you'll be contacted through the leaders of the different works in the days ahead as well. I think that's all the announcements. Always made subject to the Lord's will. Brian. Um, we're going to sing again before we come to consider the word. Uh, before the throne of God, above I have a strong and perfect play. Beautiful uh, hymn, sing, we'll enjoy singing it, holy words. Uh, so let's stand together, please, and sing this all the way through.
Amen. Thank you very much for singing. Okay, so we're going to continue this morning our series uh, on prayers of the faithful that we've been looking at a little bit over the last few months, looking at some examples of prayer in Scripture and seeing what we can learn from the circumstances around them and from the people involved in them. Last time we looked at Zacharias, uh, the prayer of a father and his revelation of the coming Messiah. This morning we're going to look at the prayer of a leader prayer of a leader. Uh, Many of you here today are leaders. Uh, You might not categorize yourself as that, but whether you work in a school, run your own business, manage a team, direct your family, lead your children, engage in a work or ministry within the church, you're in a position of influence. You're a leader. And how we lead in our position of leadership or our sphere of influence is maybe a better way to put it. Because you will have people that look up to you. And how we lead and how we act and how we respond in those circumstances has a huge bearing on the people around us. The internet's full of quotes on great leaders. Harry S. Truman, President of the United States, said, Where there is no leadership, the people stand still. Max Lucado, a Christian author, said, A man who wants to lead the orchestra must first turn his back on the crowd. That's a very interesting one. And a leader without a title is better than a title without any leadership. It's a challenging one as well. That one was from Simon Sinek. And he also said, a leader, first and foremost, is a human. Only when they have the strength to show their vulnerability can they truly lead others. And the leader we're going to consider this morning did exactly that. He led with vulnerability. That's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do generally to be vulnerable in front of other people. But particularly in a position of leadership. We're turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. And in a wee minute or two, I'm going to ask Joel Kelso if he would come and read the passage for me. But before he does, I want to give you a little bit of context. 2 Chronicles takes us through the period of the kings from Solomon right up to the fall of the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. In 2 Chronicles 17, we're introduced to Jehoshaphat, the fourth king of Judah since the division of the twelve tribes. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, continued where his father left off, but with an even firmer hand. He led the people astray, and all too easy, they turned their back on the Lord, and they worshipped the gods of the heathen. By the time Jehoshaphat came to power, there had been some encouragement. Asa, his father, was a godly man and had worked hard to bring the people back to the Lord. And although Jehoshaphat made mistakes, a few dodgy alliances here and there, it was clear that he loved the Lord. He wanted to serve his God. And he wanted to serve the people by bringing them back to the Lord's commands. It's exactly what Judah needed. It's what the prophets have been calling for, a repenting of sin and a return to the law of God. It's exactly what the Lord required. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, God says, I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land. But if thou turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but be drawn away and worship other gods, I denounce you this day that ye shall surely perish and shall not prolong your days upon the land. That was the agreement. I will give you a land, but disobey me and I'll take it away. It's important to point out that this is why we don't take every promise and try and apply it to ourselves. This was for Israel. I will give you the land, but if you disobey me, I'll take it away again. The nation had fallen away. But under the reign of Jehoshaphat, things were starting to look up. People were turning back, finally following the commandments. They were doing what God required. And that brings us into chapter 20. I'm going to ask Joel if he would come and read the first ver- 13 verses of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Thank you, Joel. It 
It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them besides the Anamolites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then these came so that it that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multiple against thee from beyond the sea of the si this side of Syria. And behold thee, thee in Hazontamaz, which is in, in Gedai. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Ju Judah gathered themselves together to ask the help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Jehoshaphat, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congress of Je Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art thou God in heaven, and rulest thou not thy over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou our God, who did, didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and givest the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If, they, if when evil cometh upon the, us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is the, in this house, and cry unto thee. In our afflictions, then thou wilt hear the, and help. And now behold the children of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Syria, whom thou wouldest not have let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them, and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how thou rewardest, to come to cast out thy possessions, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, Wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against thee, this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are, are upon thee. And all Judas stood before the Lord, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Thanks, Joel. Let's pray for the Lord's help, just before we come to consider these verses. Dear Father, we thank you for the reading of your precious word, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for the lessons contained in it, Lord. And we pray that you would help us now to um, listen and to hear and to understand and to want to understand, Lord, what you would have to say to us. Pray, Lord, that there would be some encouragement, Lord, for some heart that is maybe struggling with some of these things. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd be pleased to speak a word of comfort and a word of encouragement and a word of blessing and a word of challenge if we need it. And Lord, we just ask these things in your name. Amen. So Judah had departed from the Lord under Rehoboam. But now they were coming back. Jehoshaphat was doing incredible things. In chapter 19, the, the chapter just before what Joel read, he had set up judges to enforce the law. And he told them to take heed because they were judging not for man, but for God. He reestablished and re-energized the priesthood, commanding them to fear, to lead in the fear of the Lord. And it was starting to have a, a real impact on the people. So you think about this, Jehoshaphat had come into power off the back of his father trying to do the right things, and things were slowly starting to change. But there was a legacy that had been left behind, and it wasn't a good one. And Jehoshaphat was bringing these things in, and there was a there's a real positivity about the place. It was a time to be joyful, a time to feel good. It was encouraging. Spiritually speaking, the nation was on the up. And all of a sudden, news arrived that would change the entire mood of the nation. Verse 2 says, There cometh a multitude against thee from beyond the sea, and this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazaz on Tamar, which is in Engedi. They were in Engedi. Now, Engedi was on the coast, about 25 miles southeast of Jerusalem. This army that was coming, marching towards them, was maybe a day, day and a half from landing in their city. Literally the next day, an army would arrive with the intent of wiping them off the face of the earth. What a change. Everything had been going so well. 
There was positivity, there was encouragement, there was blessing. And then suddenly the next 36 hours were going to change everything. Verse 3 tells us that Jehoshaphat feared. Of course he did. He was scared. Leaders aren't immune to fear. Mothers and fathers aren't immune to fear. Fear for the protection of your marriage. Fear for the spiritual maturity of your children. Fear for their safety. Leaders in the church were not immune to fear. Fearful for damaged reputations, for missed opportunities, for failing numbers. These are things we fear. Losing our job, losing your health, losing a friend. It's natural that we be afraid. There's plenty to be afraid of. But I want you to notice what Jehoshaphat did when he feared. Verse 3 says that he set himself to seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord. Things had been going well. There was a buzz about the place. His cabinet was aligned. His judges were in place. The people were serving the Lord. And in one moment, it all changed. And I'm not inclined to tell you categorically that the devil comes after you when things are going grand and leaves you well alone when they're not. I don't have the statistics on that, and I'm not even sure that's exactly the case all the time. But I know we all face battles. All of us. Some of them small. Others genuinely feel like a multitude of enemies could arrive at your door any minute. And when we're on the up, when things are going well, maybe you've finally got some rhythm to your prayer life, some consistency to your attendance. We maybe start to see people gathering in or or the team that you're a part of finally feels like it's moving in the same direction. You see, in those moments, when the battle comes then, that can feel like a real slap in the face. Because you think, well, what have I done now? I've been trying so hard. I've put all the right things in place. I feel like I'm finally walking the way that I should, finally leading the way I ought to. And yet I'm still facing battles. Sometimes still facing the same battles. The anxiety is still there. My health is no better. My relationships are struggling. I've no victory over sin. I'm trying so hard. I've done everything that I was meant to do. So why does it feel like I'm still losing? Jehoshaphat could have had that attitude. He could have had that mindset. He could have said, why, Lord? Why now? Do you not see what we're trying to do? But he didn't. He didn't have that attitude. He set himself to seek the Lord. And folks, that's what godly leadership looks like. Your circle of influence will look very different to mine. Your circle of influence will be personal to you. But inside that circle of influence, people are watching you. Your family is watching you. Your friends are watching your employees, your colleagues, your own brothers and sisters at home, your parents. They're watching your example, watching to see how you respond. They're watching you lead. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, had every right to feel aggrieved. But he knew people were watching. They were waiting for his response. And in verse 5, he stands before the whole congregation of Judah and opens his mouth to pray. His first response was to pray. And I think this prayer, short as it was, simple as it was, I mean, what is it, eight verses? 
I think this prayer is one of the most profound and challenging prayers in all of Scripture. It's a prayer of humility, a prayer of vulnerability, a prayer for a city less than 36 hours from destruction, a prayer for a people facing a battle they didn't deserve, and a prayer from a leader who hadn't a clue what to do next. I want to share five things about this prayer. Firstly, it opens with praise. The prayer of Jehoshaphat opens with praise. Verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? He opens with praise. And we might be tempted to think that before God answers our prayers, we need to tell him how great he is. We need to tell him how wonderful he is, or else he'll not answer us. Like as if we're talking to someone in work, and the more we butter them up, the more likely they are to do us a favor. But it's not like that. God isn't moved by our flattery. He deserves our praise. He's worthy of our worship. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. To the men of Athens, Paul declared the unknown God as He who gives life, breath, and all things in whom we live and move and have our being. God is worthy of praise. But in the moment of crisis, would it not have been okay for Jehoshaphat to just jump straight to the problem? Would it not have been okay for him just to lay everything out and ask for God's help? Well, yes, it would have been. There's plenty of examples in Scripture where that's exactly what happens. The people of God just lay out the problem and the Lord hears them. So why does he open with praise? Why does he start by praising the Lord? Why does he take the time when time is of the essence to praise God in prayer? Well, this might be a little bit controversial, but I don't think these words were primarily for the Lord's benefit. I think they were a challenge to his own heart. He was forcing himself to remember who he was praying to so easy to rattle off a quick prayer in crisis and then think, well, at least I prayed about it. But did you really think about who you were praying to? You were praying to the one who made the sun stand still so Joshua could win a battle. You're praying to the one who meticulously crafted every organ inside your body and counts each pump of blood as it passes through. You're praying to the one who wept at the side of his friend's grave. Praying to the one who designed marriage, the one who instituted love, the one who miraculously created life. He got money from a fish, water from a stone, and knows every thought you've ever had. He carries governments on his shoulder, regards nations as dust, and yet he calls us his children. That's who you're praying to. When we open our prayers with praise, and I have a long way to go to learn this lesson myself, but when we open our prayers with praise, we force ourselves, we force ourselves to remember who we're praying to. Folks, we come to a God who is able. It doesn't matter what the problem is. We come to a God who is able. We were talking earlier in the adult Bible class about Elijah calling down the fire from heaven. That's the God you're praying to. The one who, if he wanted to, could call down, send down fire from heaven. Still the same God. Hasn't changed. That's who we pray to. We come to a God who is able. Such a good habit to start our prayers with praise. And maybe... 
I've tried doing this a little bit and I probably need to focus a bit more on it. Maybe worth writing out things to praise God for. And every day when you come to prayer, take one of those. Spend time praising God for who he is. And then move on. It's a good habit to praise the Lord. He opens with praise. That's the first thing. And secondly, he reflects on the past. He reflects on the past. Verse 7. Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Lord, you've done this before. You've been gracious to us before. We can cite example after example where you've shown your power in even greater ways than this. The reason we're even praying right now is because of what you've done for us in the past. And as a church, we can look back at some of the many ways the Lord has blessed us. Souls that have been saved, wanderers, restored the influence of Satan, resisted. Blessings from the same God we pray to today. Our God hasn't changed. His power hasn't diminished. Nor are we any lower on his priority list. He's the same God. And the enemy is the same enemy. He hasn't regrouped or doubled in size. It's the very same enemy we find throughout Scripture, throughout human history. And yes, I know that our children today face a very different world, a very different society than what we faced. And my generation faced a different society than the one before us. But the enemy's still the same. He's no different. And the same God who cared for us will care for them in exactly the same way, with exactly the same power, against exactly the same enemy. We can take encouragement from the past. You might say, well, that's all very well for the church, but personally, I've never experienced this before. This battle that I'm going through right now, there's no point in me looking back into my life and my experience with God and calling on past experience. I've never been here before. There's nothing to look back on. But actually there is. In UK law, there's a rule known as legal precedent, where a historical court ruling can be used as the basis for determining a legal outcome in the future. So, for example, if a case was being heard and there was legal precedent for dismissing an identical case in the past, it wouldn't matter if the people were different. The new case would also have to be dismissed. The existence of an identical situation in the past, even if the people are different, would determine the likelihood of a similar outcome in the future. And it's true, you might not be able to look back on a time when the Lord has delivered you out of a similar trial. But as 1 Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us, there is no temptation overtaken us. But such as is common to man, that word temptation means trial. There is no trial you will face that has not been faced by someone else before you. Jehoshaphat wasn't there when the inhabitants were driven out or when Abraham was given the land. He didn't experience it firsthand. He wasn't present. But he knew God was. He knew God was there. And he prayed believing that if God had done it before, God can do it again. If he did it for Abraham, if he did it for Moses, if he did it for Joshua, why couldn't the same God also do it for Jehoshaphat? And that's what we cling to. I am the Lord. I change not. He's the same God. If he's done it in the past, he can do it again. If he's done it for someone else, he can do it for you. He reflected on the past. Then thirdly, he claimed the promise. He claimed the promise. Verse 8, And they dwelt therein. This is talking about the Lord's people in the land that he had given them. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, a temple saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, as judgment, or pestilence, or famine, 
we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help. In 1 Kings 8, the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon had prayed probably 150 years before this, had prayed in the ears of all the people, saying, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, all that thou promised him. If there be famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts, or if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, what prayer and supplication be made by any man or by all thy people, Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands in prayer towards this house, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and do, and give to every man according to his way, whose heart thou knowest. And the Lord answered and said, I have heard thy prayer and supplication. That was the promise Jehoshaphat was clinging to. He remembered the promise of the Lord. It meant something to him. And when crisis came, when the battle threatened, Jehoshaphat brought those words before the Lord and said, Lord, remember your promise. Remember your promise to your people. He claimed the promise of God. Are we familiar with the promises of God? Do we commit them to memory? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? To find grace and mercy in time of need. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Praise be to the God of all comforts who comforts us. All things work together for good to them that love God. He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we come to the Lord in desperation, when we come to the Lord in fear, we can come confidently on the grounds of the promises that he's given us. And we should come with confidence. We ought to claim those promises. We should be bringing them to the Lord in prayer and saying, Lord, remember them. Remember what you promised me. You know, it's possible that you've thought or maybe even been told that your particular problem isn't worth bothering the Lord about. You're overreacting. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. And yet you know it's affecting your heart. It's affecting your walk. It's invading your thoughts. It's consuming your life. You've no rest. You've no strength. And you've no clarity in the way forward. Well, if any of you lack wisdom, ask. His strength is given in weakness. And he says, if you want rest, you come to me. We're to bring our needs to the Lord. I'm sure you've heard this before, but if you look at the small print on a UK banknote, you'll see that it says, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of whatever, 10 pounds. That's a commitment from the bank that if you were to walk into them at any point and lay that note down in the desk, they would have to give you what it says. Whether that's ten coins or two fivers or whatever, but they would have to honor that promise. Jehoshaphat took the promise he'd been given. He brought it to the feet of the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm cashing this in. I'm cashing in on the promise. I'm claiming back what you've already given me. He claimed the promise. And then fourthly, he explained the plight. He explained the plight. Verse 10 says, and now. He brings it right up to the present day. He says, and now. This is where we're at. 
Lord, look what's, look what's happening. The very thing that you said you'd protect us against is happening right now. The enemy's coming. Oh, Lord, oh, our God, will you not do something? Will you not judge this nation? He explains the plight. And I want you to notice two things here very quickly. Notice where it comes in the prayer. Firstly, he opens with praise to the Lord. Secondly, he remembers the past blessings from the Lord. Thirdly, he claims the promise of the Lord. And then and only then does he lay out the need of the people. Even in prayer, even in crisis, Jehoshaphat had his priorities absolutely bang on. And listen, it's not a magic formula. This isn't a prescriptive order for prayer. It's not. But you not think that in this case, the prayer reveals the heart, doesn't it? His heart was towards the Lord. He started with the Lord. When fear struck, what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord. And surely that's a challenge for each of us this morning. When fear struck, he set himself to seek God. Second thing to notice is that he didn't hold back on the issue, did he? You see that? He named it. It was Moab and Ammon. He specifically outlined the problem. They're coming to take our land. And Lord, you said they wouldn't do that. And I think sometimes we're hesitant to specify the issues in prayer. We'll pray generally. We'll pray pray around the issue. But we'll not come out and say it, even in prayer, even on our own sometimes. And I do this. And I don't know why I do it. But I do. I'm hesitant to actually spill out what's on my heart. Jehoshaphat spelt it out. He says, Lord, we've got ourselves in a right pickle. We've got ourselves a problem. And here is the problem. And Lord, we need your help. See, when it gets down to that level, it's really very simple. Some of the best and most uplifting prayer times we've had in the wee room at the back there is when some of you have been willing, even when I haven't, to open yourself up before the Lord and cry out for what's in your heart. That's what prayer should be. I'd encourage you to be there. If it's not your habit, I'd encourage you to come and be vulnerable in prayer. To come and cry with us for the needs of souls within your family. Plead for the mercy of God in our lives. And for his protection on our children. And why not name them? And pray for the hand of God upon the church. Because we need him. We need him. last thing, fifth point and this blows me away Jehoshaphat opened in praise, he reflected on the past he claimed the promise, he explained the plight and in closing his prayer in front of the whole congregation of Judah Jehoshaphat rests in God's power he rests in God's power And this is where we see his vulnerability. Verse verse 13 tells us that all Judah stood before the Lord. And just before you thought anybody was left out, the little ones were there. The babies were there. The wives were there with their, their husbands. The children were there. And they all watched as their leader led. And I don't know what you think of when you think of leaders or what characteristics you feel that you need to demonstrate as a leader, whether that's a leader in your home or a leader in your work or a leader in just the influence of friends that you have. I don't know what sort of character you think you need to be. 
in front of all these people, his subjects. Remember, this is the king of Judah. He's in charge of the whole land. In front of all these people, he prayed and said, we have no might against this great company. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. If that's not vulnerability, I don't know what is. Sometimes we think we have to show this strong front, this, this cold face. Not let anybody know that we're struggling or not let anybody know that we're breaking. Standing in front of everybody, Jehoshaphat said, A, we can't win this. B, I haven't a clue what to do. And C, I'm handing it over. In front of everybody. We sometimes use the phrase, all we can do is pray. I've used that myself. And we know when we're saying that it's not the right phrase. It doesn't do it justice. Prayer is a powerful weapon, a mighty resource, a privilege. But you know, sometimes, literally, all you can do is pray. It's all you've got. It's not physically within your power to do anything else. Jehoshaphat looked and said, we don't have the resources for this. It's impossible. We cannot win. They're coming in a day, day and a half. We're done. He said, I don't know, I don't know what to do. No answers. No answer. I'm standing here in front of you all and I have no answers to give you. All he had was prayer. And that's a scary place to be. Maybe not all of us have been there. I don't think I've been to that exact point where all I have is prayer. I think some of you have. It's one thing depending on prayer when the solution's partly in your own hands. It's another depending on prayer when it's entirely out of your control. When you've no strength left and no idea where to turn next. That was Jehoshaphat. Folks, that's what it means to set yourself to seek the Lord. And if fear is what drives us to that point, where all you can say is, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon thee. Then can I assure you this morning, that's not a bad place to be. Because when all we have is prayer, every answer comes from the Lord. Every answer comes from the Lord. It's not you that's doing it, it's Him. His ways are perfect. Every step is true and every timing is right. And in those moments when you honestly probably feel less like a leader than you've ever felt in your entire life, those will be the times when the others around you, your sphere of influence, your subjects, those will be the times when they will see and know what it truly is to live a life of dependence on God. And all the glory will go to him. Folks, that's the vulnerable, humble prayer of a great leader. What a challenge that is. It opens with praise. It reflects on the past. It claims the promises. It explains the plight and it rests wholly and truly and dependently on only the power of God. I pray that we might be humble leaders, willing to be vulnerable, in whatever role and whatever responsibility the Lord has given to us. Amen. We want to sing our closing hymn. 520 in the books, a very pertinent one. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. And we do, we need him. 
Need him every hour in every circumstance. But particularly when everything else is stripped away and all you have is prayer. That's when we need the Lord. Let's stand to sing, please. Uh, there's quite a few verses. We'll sing uh, 1, 3, and 5, please. Stand and sing. Lord, we, we need thee, Lord. We need your touch, Lord. We need your help. Lord, we know that there are some who are struggling with things at the moment and they don't know where to turn. They have nothing of themselves to give, Lord, no answers. Lord, we thank you for this example of Jehoshaphat who set his face to seek the Lord, who depended, who rested. And he was willing to show that vulnerability and say, I need help. And he knew where to turn. Lord, help us to approach your throne with praise. To remember who we pray to. The power of all heaven and earth. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be reminded of these things. Lord, bless those that need to go now from this place, Lord, and as we stay around the table, Lord, as believers, as we can contemplate that great sacrifice for us, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together and be with us, Lord. Focus our minds and give us that heart of dependence. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.